0: Hey, GG peeps, big news today. We're joining a network and we've got our
1: very first sponsor. Today's episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast is brought to you by the fine folks over at Throne. Join our exchange at exchange.throne.com exchanges slash GNG23. And listen to the end of the episode for more details. We're looking forward to working with the folks over at May Contain Action now i'll turn it over to noah to talk about his show forgotten paths
2: hello and welcome dear listeners i'm noah downs the host of forgotten paths right here on the Make and contain action network Forgotten Pats is your source for immersive stories in the form of Dungeons & Dragons actual play adventures. If you're in the mood for epic quests and memorable characters, be sure to give our show a listen. We've just completed our first thrilling campaign, so you can enjoy a complete story with 61-hour episodes available. And here's an extra tidbit for you. As we're gearing up for Campaign 2, we're keeping you entertained with exciting miniseries releases and some awesome guests. So stay tuned for even more adventures to come. While you're exploring, don't miss out on the other fantastic shows within the May Contain Action Network, such as May Contain Action, Goblins and Growlers, Unvaulted, and Quid Pro Roll. You can find them all linked in the show notes. Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreoncom growlers You can find all the different stuff we do there: one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Blue Sky and Discord.
2: Uh, I'm Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore in places. I guess my best (laughs) advice for you here, I'll, I'll future, I'll future proof this podcast for you. Uh, just, uh, Google, uh, or Google, who knows if Google will be around, uh, just (laughs) use your, use the most popular internet search engine of your time and search for way of Brandalore." And if I have a social media account, it'll probably be under that. Hey, the benefit of picking a social media handle
1: and sticking with it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Consistency.
0: I believe in systems,
2: Josh.
1: I'm just really excited for three years from now when you're like, man, this Mandalorian joke isn't really holding up the way I wanted it to. So from here forward, I'll be Publio Brandio or something
2: like. (laughs) No, I'm committed. This is the way. (laughs) And that sounds like that sounds like a lame knockoff hobbits name. Publio (laughs) Brandio.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking one of the Saxville like... baggins from,
2: <laughs> from, from the brandywine
1: area. I was thinking it sounded like a really iffy spell you could cast,
2: a Publio <laughs> Brandio. It also sounds like one of the pseudonyms that like people in the late 1700s would use to write letters to the editor supporting independence in the United <laughs> States. Fantastic. Everybody, everybody back then thought it was really vogue to give themselves a pseudonym of some like Roman uh, thinker like Publius or Cato <laughs> or something like that. I Oh my God. How has your week been, Brandon? Oh, it's been fine. It's been fine. I mean, it is only Wednesday. It is as only we record Wednesday. This. But yeah, it's been fine. <sighs> Scott's complained that we spend a lot of time at the top of these podcasts, John, about nothing. So I'm trying to I'm trying to make his wish come true and just say, no. uh, yeah, it's been a fine week. Let's just get going.
1: No, no. Scott's complaint was that if we're going to have our audio cut out, af- everything after the first three and a half minutes is basically the worst possible time.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll release a mini-sode of our, of our sewing circle of just complaining <laughs> about stuff. Uh, but this I'll, I'll tell this you what, is I am excited, though. I'll tell you why I'm excited, though. I'm excited because we're finally getting back on track with getting stuff recorded, not the day or two days before we have to release it.
1: I know, right? Uh, We're recording this in mid-October, and you, dear listener, are listening to it, provided everything goes according to plan, which, based on our current map, it should. You'll be listening to this in mid-November, which is how we'd initially set up our calendar to begin with so that we wouldn't be asking Scott on Saturday morning to edit something for the following
2: Monday. (laughs) Yeah. It's like when your plane's leaving at, like, 7 o'clock and at, like, 6.45, you're like, well, I better get to the airport. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll probably be fine. Scott, like, meekly messages us, like on Friday nights, like, you guys, you guys plan on recording tomorrow. <laughs> my, my calendar says I should have something from you.
1: I, I see that there's an episode release coming up and I'm wondering what kind of turnaround you're anticipating on this. Quick. Uh, honestly, honestly, mad props to Scott for always managing to get these episodes out, even on the couple of occasions that we haven't given him audio until Saturday night. Still yeah. anticipating a Monday release. I have yeah. said on multiple occasions, Scott, we've gotten you this this audio so late. If we need to make an announcement that the episode's going to be like a day or two delayed, totally fine. Not a big deal. And he's like, I'm a professional. And also Batman.
2: Oh, uh, one little one little tiny bit of inconsequential news. But uh, uh, over the course of the last several days, I have gotten us caught up on our YouTube uploads of the video part of the podcast. Because... Uh, sort of behind the curtain. That's an extremely manual process for me. Uh, But I ended up building an Adobe Premiere template to allow me to just drop stuff in. Uh, And so I like get up in the morning, set it up, export it. uh, And uh, and I have Premiere set up to automatically upload it to YouTube. So like everything's there. There's just several older ones that are set on private right now. And I have to mark them as public. So they'll be released. Um, So by the time you hear this, they'll be on there. So if you'd rather see me saying this, Uh, rather than hear me, you can always do that. Now I'm trying, I'm going to try to get better about that. It just fell, it fell off the radar while I got busy with some stuff. That's fresh, sir. That's very fresh. All right.
1: You want to get into today's topic?
2: Yeah. And I think, I think we should first address the cynical reason why we're doing, uh, this topic today. And that is, uh, (laughs) last year, last year, 2022, Josh and I are at queen city anime con, uh, in August. And I'm sitting at our merch table and I um, we have just we had just released an episode that week. And then this is like three or four days later that we're there. And I happen to look at the PodBean statistics on my phone. And it's I, I almost had a coronary because we'd had 2,000 downloads just in like the last 12 hours. And uh, it just kept rolling on for several days. And uh, ultimately, the the episode, the last episode that we did that was called uh, Unpopular D&D Opinions uh, ended up getting picked up by the Samsung podcasting app and, like, featured. So it just resulted in, like, 6,000 downloads over the course of, uh, like, a month, I think. Yeah, if you, uh,
1: if you look at our download total right now, it's, like two-thirds everything we've ever done and one-third that one episode
2: yeah uh (laughs) and and consequently up up to that point it it rendered if you did like an all-time graph of traffic it rendered it completely useless (laughs) because it was such an outlier uh but anyways uh you know, we figured we would try it again with the very f- SEO friendly title of uh Unpopular D&D Opinions Part
0: 2.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. It's also it's something that's kind of fun for us because we're both we're both grumpy guys sometimes mm-hmm. uh and particularly when it comes to like TTRPGs everybody's got some kind of take that is Hot in some way or another, whether it's just because it gets them heated, or if it's because it's the sort of thing that they drop into a chat room and everybody around is like, "Hey, hey, 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 hey."
2: Yeah. So put up, put on, put on a tux and spike up your hair because it's about to get Buster Poindexter in here because it's hot, hot, hot. <laughs> oh my god! There we go. Uh, Craig, will, Craig will get that. He'll probably wow. be the only person who does. I'm I. I feel like I might know this
1: reference, and I kind of don't at the same time, so that's where I'm at. Uh, Alright, so starting things off, we've got, and I can almost guarantee I'm going to pronounce this wrong, uh, Greg, you've made your handle unpronounceable. Gisultherol, Which sounds like a medication. Greg mm-hmm. posts, the increased monetization of the D&D brand is killing it. Hasbro slash WotC is shooting itself in the foot, the proverbial foot, trying to treat a TTRPG like a video game. Now, I don't know that I would rank this as an unpopular opinion. In fact, I think this is a very popular populist opinion. Mm-hmm. First One of all. One reflected by our episode, uh, not this previous episode, but the episode before.
2: First of all. Um, if your erection lasts for longer than four hours, Zoltharol may not be for you, and you should consult <laughs> your doctor. Jesus. Zoltharol.
1: <laughs> oh my God, Jay mm-hmm. Uh What do you What do you think, Brandon?
2: Uh do increased need to add much to this the increased monetization of the D and D &D brand is killing a Hasbro Watsi shooting itself in the proverbial foot by trying to treat TTRPG like a video game. I mean, we've talked about, we've, we've talked about this a number of times, sort of from a number of angles, and I both agree and disagree with this. So there's the politician in me coming out. Um, but I like to tell myself it's because I see nuance, uh, where others just see like strict lines of demarcation. Um, bottom line is, uh, I agree. Um, but on the other side of that uh, last episode, I was literally talking about them setting up a d and Beyond subscription service that allowed me to access um, essentially back catalog, quote unquote, DLC.
1: So we've we talked about this a couple episodes ago, like they just increased prices. Mm-hmm. They're already re-releasing content with the price increase. Like, I understand that, you know, inflation Mm -hmm. so things are just generally going to cost more but the flip side of that is you should be giving me as much value on that price increase as you were before inflation Mm -hmm. and when you do things like reuse half the content in a book Mm -hmm. it doesn't really feel like you're giving me the same value right
2: um yeah i i guess you know where what are we defining monetization as in this case like it's, well, of course they're monetizing it. They're selling a product. Um, they've always been selling a product. Yeah. The increased monetization. Well, they want to make more money. They want to make more profit with it. Um, you know, like maybe I guess it was earlier this year, we were singing the praises of that, um, phishing essentially DLC that, that came out for five E now granted that was a third party thing. So we can't blame Watsi on that, but like, You can't you can't say that's cool, but then turn around. And if like Watsy is doing the same thing, be like, well, that sucks. Um, Again, there's probably some nuance arguments to be made there. Like you're you're helping you're supporting small creators. um, You're you're sort of broadening the base of what's available in the game and what's available for the game when you support them and um, like I wouldn't expect Watsi to just release the core rules and say, "Well, we're done. The rest of you just do whatever you need to do." Um, I do think I do think they need to be more price conscious. I mean, you know, we can make an argument about inflation and printing costs, materials costs, everything like increasing uh, all we want, but you know, at the end of the day, people's money is worth less now than it was a year ago, and they're charging more than they were a year ago. So, oh, absolutely, that's creating a disconnect, and maybe. Maybe they need to start reexamining their business model, um, which they won't do until it becomes until their profitability drops below a certain threshold, because at the end of the day, they're a business and they don't care if we can't afford it as long as enough people can afford it. Right. Right. Um, So. Cheaper binding paperbacks, you know, Uh, release releasing them like that, which in the past they've experimented with. Uh, with uh, like condensed core rule books and things. I remember they did that for a fourth edition at least and probably before then, um, you know. So go, go cheaper, create a budget versions of that. You know, they'll never do it, but, you know, PDF releases of things. That's why they have D&D Beyond. But again, make d d Beyond more accessible and affordable for folks um, who can't afford to pay $60 for half of a book that you're, That you're tacking on to the end of something you released nine years ago
1: yeah i we've already heard from craig that on hearing the fandelver episode he -hmm. was like oh i thought that it was going to be all new content and i was hoping for kind of it what he was describing was something more similar to what i was thinking initially Mm -hmm. and on learning that it was half sort of revamped content and then half new content. He was like, I don't think I need that. Yeah. Especially not at 60 bucks. And it's like, fair, totally fair.
2: Yeah. And let's address the second part of the question too, or not the question, but the second part of the opinion. It's like uh, the monetization is killing the D&D brand. It's not. (laughs) It's, uh, I think they've suffered some hits from a perception uh, and yeah, let's just say perception for an optics kind of aspect. But, um, and I will admit that I have not looked at the Hasbro stock price, which would only give me sort of a limited window into how they're doing. Cause it's not like they break it down among all their different divisions. And I'm, and even though they're a publicly held company and I could, I'm not going to go look through their financial statements on this, uh, but I might, you know, that might be something worth doing, but anyway, it's not killing it. I don't think they're shooting themselves in the foot because there's still so many people who, to whom TTRPG is synonymous with D and D. It's just people who play D and D. You know, probably Pathfinder is is as far off the the main road that those folks want to go. And um, and I'm I am interpreting the trying to treat it like a video game part of this as. Um, releasing things kind of piecemeal and re-releasing things and essentially creating effectively DLC for uh, which, which is all D and D's ever been the core rule is this is the base game and everything else is the DLC for it that you can use or not use. Um, I think, I think you could also
1: make that argument a little bit for uh, D and D beyond doing things like, Oh, do you not want to buy the whole book? Would you prefer Mm -hmm. to buy an individual monster block? That'll be a dollar 99 please. Which does feel very video game cosmetic e uh-huh. um and then i think the other part of that is when they were doing the ogl changes which i think is really what brings about this kind of conversation um part of that was they didn't want other people to be able to build virtual tabletops with particle effects which right. to me says that they're looking to build something more like a video game Well, I mean, play with your friends.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, and they are because we've all seen the demos of the uh, isometric uh, interactive dungeons. So, I mean, that's exactly that's exactly what that was. Um, So. I mean, I don't know why we're why we would be surprised by that, really. Um, I mean, the joke about fourth edition was it was basically a video game that you played with pen and paper. So true. Now that they've caught up with the the technology is caught up with their with their dreams. Like, why wouldn't they try to execute (laughs) that? Um, That's not the way I that's not the way I prefer to play. Like, if I'm going to do that, I'll just play in an MMORPG or, you know, a massive single player or something like that. I don't like playing MMORPGs because I have an addictive personality and I have other stuff I need to do during the day. Um, Catch catch Brandon becoming a Genshin Impact whale.
1: I have no idea what that means. Just trying to just trying to unlock those specific
2: characters. I have I have no idea uh, what you're talking about.
1: Uh, just uh, I'll I'll cover it real quick and then we should move to our next unpopular opinion. Basically, there are you're familiar with the concept of a gacha game? Uh, it may, are you why don't you explain it ga- to me so <laughs> I can be sure you know what it is? Uh, are you familiar with the gachapon machine concept yeah. from Japan? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a vending machine. You pop a couple quarters in. You twist yeah. it around. You get a little bubble with a th- something inside it. Usually stickers or something. Yeah,
2: like I have some some Gachapon edition Super Sentai uh, Ranger keys that were only available in Gachapon machines.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, there are games where you can get loot boxes, etc. Uh, those are commonly referred to as Gacha games in reference to Gachapon machines. Oh well, you could
2: have just said and- loot box.
1: I could have, but gotcha is the, it's the term these days. Um, So a whale is someone who plays gotcha games and spends hundreds of dollars on things like trying to get a specific skin for a specific character. Uh And they just keep rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. And then eventually they get it, but they've spent like, you know, $1,200 getting there.
2: I, I mean, yeah. Okay. So it's just basically like if you had a shark card in Grand Theft Auto five. Okay. Um, I can guarantee you that I will never become a whale because <laughs> I have bills to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all. Mm-hmm. All
1: right. All right. Moving into our next uh, potentially unpopular opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wizard Hacker Ollie has three for us. -hmm. Medicine checks should be intelligence and nature should be wisdom. I'm Mm. kind of inclined to agree with this one.
2: Yeah, that just makes sense on the surface.
1: Well, and Ali also went in to talk about how, like, it's messed up that your clerics, who are supposed to be kind of, you know, cloistered individuals who go out to adventure in the name of their God, are going to be a hundred times better at survival checks than or and nature checks than the average ranger or uh rogue
2: now the survival checks are because they spend all that time fasting they know how to <laughs> they know they know how to live off of their own body's fat for longer periods of time
1: uh they also mentioned that you have wizards who theoretically spend all their time up in towers reading books mm-hmm. who know more about what kind of plant life is in an area and it's like yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Now, understanding how a body works so you can treat it, that's like you, you look at it
2: better, like mm-hmm. wisdom. What? How does that make sense? <laughs> you, in, you intuit it. I can maybe, <laughs> I can make, if somebody came up to me and offered the, the explanation for that of like, well, we're thinking about sort of the, the more classical medieval, version of medicine where, you know, you, you had to use backward when it was like natural philosophy and you had to sort of intuit the humors of the body and balance them or something like that. If that's what somebody wanted to, to, to try to tell me that the medicine statistic was supposed to reflect, I could understand it being part of wisdom. I wouldn't agree with it, but I could understand it. Um, At most, I would grant...
1: People are bad at diagnosing themselves, but you might Mm -hmm. be able to read between the lines to pick up what the diagnosis Mm -hmm. should actually be.
2: Well, if we're talking about somebody using something like WebMD to diagnose, then intelligence absolutely (laughs) should not be the stat for it. (laughs) Uh, Also, bring back
1: Lore Wizard. This is this is Ollie's uh, hill, I think, because Ollie (laughs) loves Lore Wizard. Mm -hmm. I. Am not. I never played a lore wizard, mm-hmm. so I am not that deep in the Kool Aid. But everything Ollie has described about lore wizards, I'm like, why doesn't that exist?
2: Yeah, um, I was. I mean, I've never played a lore wizard either. I was always a College of Lore Bard. If that gets me any street cred, there. <laughs> but um, it, it, as sort of a blanket response to that is like, you don't need to wait for anybody to bring anything back. You can just do it. Don't don't let your dreams be dreams. Just do hey, it. Yeah, exactly. You know, don't look at the world and, and ask why. And don't look at the world as it is and ask why. Look at it and ask why not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Ollie's
1: final potentially unpopular opinion. I don't like how easy it is to bring back the dead in 5e. And to that, I say there are critical injury tables you could be
0: using. Mm-hmm
2: in a, in a very sort of broad answer to this, which I realize is becoming a habit for me in this episode, I will say (laughs) that, um, yes, but it should be like, this should be part of a, of session zero conversation. Like what kind of stakes do we want in this game? That's fair. That that we want to play because I, for example, I, um, yesterday or the day before, uh, got on, uh, gog and downloaded darklands which is a uh rpg from like 1992 or something like that and it takes place in like medieval germany and it's very realistic in that like your only magic is like alchemy and potions and stuff like that uh it's at and you can't really bring people back from the dead is my understanding in that game because it's based a little bit more on reality than anything else Um, it's from Microprose, So if you ever played like Sid Meier's pirates or something like that, you sort of get the feel for what kind of game it is to a certain degree. Got it. But, but, you know, if you want, if you want to really feel like you have stakes play, you know, then yeah, you should be playing on something closer to permadeath, but not everybody likes doing that. Some people don't take their characters like too terribly seriously and Maybe they wouldn't care either way if the character died or they just want it's a goofy character and they just want to keep on playing it. I don't think this is necessarily a function of the rules creating a situation uh, that's not beneficial to the player, but rather the philosophy of the table, maybe not aligning with like all the people playing. Maybe.
1: I mean, from a strictly rules is written standpoint, revivify is a third level spell that most healing classes mm-hmm. get. So from that standpoint, bringing somebody back from death isn't that difficult grand mm-hmm. scale. However, um, I think for me, it's a question of how much magic is in the environment. If it's a high magic environment, then I think it should be fairly easy to resurrect people because mm-hmm. things like finger of death exist or Power Word Death, or Mm. like, or not Power Word Death, Power Word Kill, or, you know, like all of those kinds of things, uh, disintegrate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, if you really want somebody to stay dead, you've got tools at your disposal for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it all comes back to stakes for me, because I have no problem, I guess, just philosophically, about Revivify-type spells, or rituals, or magic items, or anything like that. But I think when you reach a point in your game where you're like, we should bring this person back from the dead, that needs to be like a hill that you got to climb. That needs to be a bit of a lift. I think snapping your fingers cheapens death and it cheapens the role play.
1: I think that's totally fair. And I suspect that's where Ollie's coming from as Mm -hmm. well, based on other conversations.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Moving into Dr. Glocken's, uh potentially unpopular opinion. As, as one, usual, one I which see is three very long. I see three very thick
2: bullet points, which <laughs> is what, exactly what I expect from him.
1: I will. I mean, doctor's right in the handle. So mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: let's get let's get into it. Intelligence mm-hmm. is underutilized in DD because too many things get hand waved for info dumps that should be behind intelligence checks.
2: Um. I
1: think this is I think this is a you problem like this is (laughs) if if intelligence checks are getting hand waved, then whoever's running the table is uh, not handling intelligence checks like they're supposed to. Now, don't don't put those checks in places where the party absolutely has to have that info. And that was part of the conversation that followed this particular comment. Don't make it plot important. Or just give them the info, but um, I've seen a lot of tables do a really good job of having like history checks, arcana checks, uh, nature checks be really impactful to how the game proceeds.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think info dump is really the key phrase here because just you—you you basically said the same thing I was going to say that if you—if you're using that as a keyword, then this really lies with the the GM. Uh, yeah. this this issue and i don't know if it's necessarily like a capital c complaint because from the like from the flip side of it you got to look at it as like the gm neither can nor wants to sit there and have like their list of like 10 bulleted items of information that the party may find useful and just keep rolling checks on it, and I and I know there's probably way, there, there are definitely ways to streamline that, and I'm using sort of a an extreme example, but um, I agree that if there's if it's something necessary, then they shouldn't have to roll for it. And if there's a chance they, and if there's no chance they could fail or succeed, they shouldn't have to roll for it.
1: Agreed. Fully, fully agreed. Uh, it's, it's better to have those roles be for things that are very optional and potentially beneficial, mm-hmm. depending on how that info is utilized.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, next up, having to plan for multiclassing hurts class balance and is the source of a lot of balance issues in 5e. I, I don't know that this is an unpopular opinion. I think it's just the facts.
2: Yeah, multiclassing is silly. And I say that as a person who has a character <laughs> that is a triple multi-class. Um, <laughs> it's silly I mean, because the character is a bit silly. So, yeah, well, it's silly because nobody realistically puts in the role playing work to multi-class, right? Like if I'm like a level five fighter and then I decide that I want to multi-class as like a bard, we're not going on some some quest of discovery for me to like find my love of music or poetry or something like that. It's just like, well, I'm taking a level in board. And now I get, uh, you know, now I get uh, an instrument. So I'm going to carry this, this drum around with me. And I think, I think multiclassing needs to be handled a little bit differently. Like, let's say, let's say you're level five and you're about to go up to level six, right? Um, I think you need to, when you go to level six, you just take your next level in fighter, but then you declare that when you level up again, you will be multi-classing as X, Y, or Z. So that way you buy the GM probably several weeks, uh, to help sort of figure out what the role playing aspect of that is. Um, so, uh, like, I almost think a multi-class needs to be handled like a college major. Like, you get a little comfortable with the character, you get an idea where you want to take them, um, or maybe you just decide it's time for, you know, a change or something like that. And then you, you declare that you're changing your major, uh, but you still have to, you know, wrap up a couple of things and you have to take some foundational classes in the new major before you can actually say, like, I am a bard.
1: I have played in a campaign where you could get bonus experience for a variety of tasks and things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that experience would be for specific categories of training. And so if you did a lot of a thing, regardless of whether or not it was part of your class or something you were trained in, you got experience towards the next time you wanted to level up, potentially leveling up into that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of it was, like, weapon proficiencies, some of it was, like, actual class features such as bard, but I thought that was a particularly fascinating way to handle it, and encouraged you to, if you wanted to take a level in bard, start doing bard stuff before you're a bard. Mm -hmm. Which uh, is a principle that has treated me very well in a corporate environment as well. Mm -hmm. Being a bard. (laughs) Start doing bard stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm, I never like saying like that people just need to, let me, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to articulate this. Cause I've got the thought very clearly in my head, but people should want to role play and the rules shouldn't have to force people to role play and snapping your fingers and being like, I'm a wizard now, now what, um, it it's not satisfying from a storytelling perspective uh and or, or character development or anything like that
1: bringing us back to dr glocken's actual complaint though class balance was the concern uh mm-hmm. because when you spend when you are like a level 5 fighter and then you dip into bard for a few levels mm-hmm. uh the benefits you get from becoming partially a bard are kind of outweighed by the handicaps you're taking towards being a better fighter. Mm -hmm. Because a level 2 bard, level 5 fighter is probably not quite as effective as a level 7 fighter.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, I would almost argue that 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 fits by design because being a jack of all trades and master of none means you sacrifice proficiency in one thing to be all right at several things
1: true and i think i think it depends on the table once again i think there are tables where everyone is optimized such that -hmm. taking that two level dip or what have you Mm -hmm. uh, ends up feeling like it's costing you a lot and then there's tables like ours where none of us is really optimizing our characters so to speak so you being a triple multi-class you still feel like an effective character amongst the group because the rest of us are just doing yo-yo nonsense anyway.
2: And there was, I designed that character for a reason because he's a wrestler. So I needed, I needed sort of the strength and rage of the barbarian. I needed the, the ability to fight without a melee weapon of a monk and also getting like a second wind in wrestling or something like that. And then I needed the performance capabilities of the bard. So uh, I will very meekly argue that, that I had a, an in-story justification as I planned out what that character was going to become.
1: I mean, I think that's reasonable. hmm Dr. Glocken's final unpopular opinion, and this one I think is actually an unpopular opinion, Mm -hmm. Drizzt is overrated. Solid character, and I enjoyed the prequel trilogy when I read it, but he's an emo, sometimes edgy boy scout, which makes him particularly appealing for people who first started reading his books when they were teenagers.
2: Um, I can't argue with that. (laughs) I really can't.
1: Uh, Yeah, for anyone unfamiliar with Drizzt, that's Drizzt Doerden, a forgotten realms famous character on the same scale as someone like Minsk the barbarian who's currently very popular in Baldur's Gate 3 uh he is a drow dual wielder who ends up very like paladinic in behavior uh from a vast number of R.A. Salvatore books Mm -hmm. and I think we we ended up having this conversation as well R.A. Salvatore uh weaves a particularly compelling world for people to be running around in uh but his characters sometimes leave things to be desired particularly when he's like i want their behavior to be like this so this will be their alignment and then that character has no nuance
2: uh yeah that's i mean that's a huge problem with fantasy authors just overall they um and just and and writing in general, like you get an idea of the character in your head and then you're just very prescriptive about that character's traits and behavior um, when really characters are like people and you need to explore them for a while before sort of figuring out exactly who who they are and how they behave. So yep. that so R.A. Salvatore, there's my writing advice for you. <laughs> God knows you need it. Well, and you definitely listen to this podcast. Yeah, is Salvatore? Thank you for listening. Is our Salvatore still alive? I think so.
1: Okay, I, it, his stuff was popular like thirty years ago. Yes, forty years ago.
2: So uh, I, can, I can only speak to thirty. I can only speak to thirty years ago because <laughs> I wasn't reading them before that. Alright, that
1: covers all of Dr. Glocken's unpopular I will, opinions. I will
2: I will ask Dr. Glocken this. I was like, if you had to choose between Drizzt or Tasselhoff Burfoot, who would you choose? <laughs> um moving to
1: snapshot 7125, uh, unpopular opinion. I will die on the hill that floor dice count. You roll what you roll.
2: GTFO. <laughs>
1: I am more likely to accept the uh, if you roll a floor dice, it's an immediate one. Mm -hmm. Because if we are spending time scrambling around on the floor trying to figure out where the heck that die went and what is on it,
2: uh, that is time we could be spending playing the game. Especially if it's a D4 and it's stuck and it's like hidden in your carpet somewhere. Oh, God. And somebody's going to step on it. (laughs) I, I mean, it's like. It's like one of those rules, like the five second rule of your food touching the ground. Like it's something that everybody just sort of believes is real, but it's it's not really Um, you you shouldn't eat food uh, that's been on the ground even for like a millisecond because the bacterial transfer uh, is very quick. But
1: uh, I I've heard heard two things on that. One is that it's just a little ground pepper. Mm. And two is that God made the dirt so the dirt don't hurt.
2: I also do that as an unpopular life opinion <laughs> as far as I'm considered. Um, but I I guess I guess I would allow floor dice if on, on as long as two conditions were met. One is that I trust the person who's rolling uh, not to be like oh, it's a 20. It's you rolled a d12. Oh, uh, 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 and that they're not. It's not happening because they're throwing wildly. They have rolled their die in in a very conservative manner. And through circumstance that was out of most people's control or unforeseen, uh, it has found its way to the floor. That's fair. If it's almost like Rube Goldberg machine-esque ricocheting
1: off of things to end up on the floor, Mm -hmm. I might count that die. I absolutely might count that die.
2: But if somebody's not going to be a responsible die roller... I, I'm not
1: going to put up with that. If they are constantly chucking their die at the table and that's why they keep getting on the floor, I that's where I start being like, I think mm, that might need to be a one. Because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I cannot with you rolling your dice onto the floor so often.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. All right. Moving into Brekod, uh Breck's Opinions dual wielding needs to not depend on a bonus action to be functional in 5e given the demand for bonus actions is high i'm kind of inclined to agree with this one as well
2: you don't think there should be some penalty for uh dual wielding
1: i think if you have to spend to get the dual wielding feat instead Mm -hmm. of two ability score increases or some other very functional very helpful feat i think that's price enough Mm mm-hmm I don't know. That's the part of your attack
2: action. But that's really just like a one time cost, though. Like you, you pay a one time cost and then with if, if there's no bonus action, uh, then you perpetually you have improved your attack. Um, and eventually, eventually, um, I think the benefits will far outweigh the cost from the player perspective on that. And maybe it, it's a, then it becomes a balance issue. Maybe I mean, though you could also say that
1: increasing your dex or strength by plus one is a one-time cost
2: that has far-reaching implications. It does if it changes your thresh, your bone, your like uh, modifier threshold.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's oh. like if you do an ability score increase instead of a feat. Mm-hmm. then you can get an additional plus one in whatever stat that is like that's two ability score increase you can get a plus one in anything mm-hmm. uh and that's if that's or strength then not only are you getting the attack bonus like to hit as well as the damage but you're also then getting the skill bonus for all of the skills associated with that and the saving throw
0: mm-hmm.
1: like i don't know i feel like I feel like making you spend your bonus action is a little bit too high of a cost. Is mm-hmm. the problem here?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If there was something, if there was something in between a bonus action and a reaction,
0: mm-hmm. a bow you could action spend
1: instead. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but like I think it being
2: a bonus action feels too steep mm-hmm. to me as well. Or even if like there was a circumstance by which. You would have to roll maybe like a disadvantage or something on your offhand or something like that. Um, not every time, but just occasionally. Maybe if there were certain certain circumstances. I don't know. I don't have the answer for this, but I just I do feel like I do feel like it imbalances it a little bit. But fair. I, but again, I like I don't have a solution for that. And one of my big <laughs> one of my big philosophies in life is like. You shouldn't complain about a problem if you don't have a, a suggestion for a solution to it. Totally fair. All right, Breck's next potentially unpopular opinion: Monks
1: should get uncanny dodge, and they should be the class that gets the most attacks. Whereas fighters' main gimmick should be maneuvers. Uh, big agree. I again, I'm inclined to agree with this. It just I, seems correct.
2: I think Breck just has his head screwed on straight. <laughs>
1: Reasonable, mm-hmm. uh, and this is the one that might actually push you yeah. over the edge. On that, I would. I would if you allow. I would, go ahead. If you allow rapiers and plate armor, gunpowder should be allowed. Just give the guns their historical reload time balance. Problem solved. <laughs> I see you
2: contemplating. I see the gears turning yeah. in your head. He makes a very logical argument. Here, here is. Here are my thoughts in sort of no particular organized way on this. Uh huh. Uh huh. Guns are like a singularity, right? Like before guns were invented, it people were like, "Oh, well, like you know, a bow and arrow. That's sort of our best shot there. A bow and arrow or a blowgun, you know, shooting something like." nobody could predict guns because it was so out of the realm of experience for our hunter gatherer ancestors, right? Um, a, a chemical reaction that propels, um, a bullet to kill, to go through and kill something. I think it is just out of, it just doesn't fit thematically. Like, and we can make all kinds of like, balance arguments for like how to incorporate it like 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 he's talking about with the reload times and everything but i don't think any of that gets around the idea that it just doesn't fit like you put like a you know like a, a 17 or 1800s pistol in there uh like or, or like a blunderbuss or something like that immediately you've, you've got a pirate adventure whether you wanted one or not um i think that the reload times would get hard to track, uh, especially if you've got somebody whose primary weapon is a firearm. Um, I
1: think that's the crucial component here: is that if guns are going to be allowed, it can't be the primary method of attack for a character. Mm-hmm. It's it should be treated like crossbow plus, yeah, basically.
2: Yeah. And if you're spending if you have to and if it's like you fire and then you have to spend you have to spend your next action, like essentially skipping a turn, reloading it, um, then you also should have to have disadvantage on uh, any attacks that come at you for that, because you're having to sit like stand there on your knees, like shoving shoving gunpowder and a magazine and a stick down into the thing and then put pushing the bullet down and then putting that stuff away and then getting up, taking aim and firing. Like it would just like the, the limitations you would have to put on the character to make that realistic in the, in the time frame in which battles take place would be ridiculous. Like what's the, what was, the record reload time for like a revolutionary pistol or a rifle,
1: I believe Breck said that super well-trained Prussians mm-hmm. were capable of loading and firing three rounds a minute.
2: Okay, three rounds a Which minute. If you
1: if you rounded that to eighteen seconds per round uh, available to fire, mm-hmm. so you you fire and then you spend the next two rounds loading Mm -hmm. before you can fire again on the following round, Mm -hmm. uh, then that's Breck felt like that would be pretty reasonable for uh, balance. The suggestion was that instead of people relying on their firearms as a primary method of combat, Mm -hmm. they would instead bring two pistols or a rifle or something like that, fire, fire, whatever rounds they have, and then cast their weapons aside and charge into battle with a sword, mm-hmm. which was very common in ship-to-ship combat during the time when guns were still using a lot of gunpowder and things like that, which is, I think uh, Breck pointed out, probably more analogous to how parties fight in DD anyway, mm-hmm. and I think is probably accurate. Uh, I don't know. I think that could work, but I do think a lot of people would be like, well, why can't I get a feat to reload faster? And mm-hmm. I want to just shoot guns. That's mm-hmm. I want that to be my primary method of damage dealing. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are trying to, like, homebrew the rules to make their players happy I'll and t- breaking their games in the process.
2: I'll tell you the real answer to that question. And it's one that I've had to give a number of times when people have talked about, like, similar situations where it's like, well, I want to play with a gun as my primary weapon. Well, friend, <laughs> you're playing the wrong game. Perhaps Dungeons and Dragons is not the game for you at this moment for <laughs> this idea.
1: You should check out Nations and Cannons of Liberty. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> if you really if you really really want to get involved in gunplay in your game, uh let me suggest to you GURPS. Mm. <laughs> that will that will let you get very in depth with how you want your gunplay to be.
1: Oh my god. All right, we've got Uh, three left and we're already at like 50 minutes of recording. We'll be fine. I don't want to rush through these though. Uh, astropathic art Megan hosts. I think healing is underpowered compared to damage dealing capabilities. And I'm, I'm kind of torn on this one to be honest. Mm -hmm. Cause I think, uh, yes, it's easier to deal damage in a round as a single like combat person. Mm-hmm. Than it is to heal that damage. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, healing, um, the the best defense being a good offense in D&D, I think is very intentional. Healing is supposed to, it's it's structured mm-hmm. to be something that you might do quickly to give someone an extra round being up, or mm-hmm. to pick someone up from being down but not out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not meant to be like raid healing in an MMORPG where you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep this person at full and they're going to keep soaking hits and that way our damage dealers can deal damage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But on the flip side of that, what if it was more like an MMORPG and you were able to keep like your barbarian at full health and then people were like, well, maybe I need to get around to the barbarian to hit that healer so that they could stop healing this barbarian which is really hurting my
2: face a lot. Well, Josh, I would say then you're probably shooting yourself in the proverbial foot by trying to treat it like a video game. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Way um, to bring it around. Yeah. I, when I was three years old, uh, pushed a friend of mine off the top of a slide. Uh, he fell to the ground and broke his arm. Oh, God. It, it took me seconds to accidentally and unintentionally break his arm but it took weeks upon weeks for his arm to heal. It's easier to destroy than it is to build something and it's even more difficult to rebuild something that's been damaged. So I think there is merit in it being easier to cause damage rather than heal from it. If you wanted to do something, like, uh, and, you know, I, I think Fallout as a series actually sort of um, sells this really well, where when you heal with the stim pack, like there are drawbacks to that, like any, you know, in that, you know, in that game, you have to take drugs essentially to buff yourself and to heal. And if you do too much, then it causes a problem. I think any instant healing needs to come at a consequence. Interesting.
1: I, I do not mind the way D and D handles healing in of itself. Um, but I think if you were looking for something more consequential, you absolutely, I, that those rules exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I still find myself torn on this. I think it depends on what kind of game we're running. Mm-hmm. If I'm running something again, low magic, uh, we've, you know, it's mostly people hitting each other with sticks and dealing damage that way, then I think having healing be more challenging makes mm. sense. If it's high magic, then I want, like, if a fireball goes off in the middle of my party, I don't want it to be like, everyone's singed and burned. You can only really save one of them. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It's well, so brutal.
2: Well, and I think my colors are showing here a little bit, too, based on just the overall conversation of the evening, because I like stakes and consequences, like it's, yeah. the way my brain is wired is I like to think out consequences of actions and try to figure out plans to avoid them. Uh, and sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. But if you don't go into it with an element of risk, then it's not fun.
1: I hear you. I hear you. All right.
2: Uh, I want consequences. Hey, consequences.
1: There we go. For yo-yoing characters who go down, get healed, and then go down again.
2: Um, I 100% agree. Because that's realistic. I, I think that's fully reasonable. I
1: I know I've played, I played with somebody. I don't think I've played in a game like this, but I played with somebody who was in a different game where every time you went down, uh, you took a level of exhaustion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, oh my God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I would also accept every time you go down, your max HP decreases by some multiplier that's tied to your level or something like that. Um, Uh, Is that a, is that a temporary condition until the end of combat until the end of combat? Ooh, okay. Which, because like it it would simulate compounding damage, right? Like if somebody slices my, my arm with a sword, I'm going to like, my adrenaline is going to let me sort of like power through for a little bit, but eventually Just like when your legs start burning, when you're running, when you get that pain like in your stomach and everything, the body just can only do so much. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair.
2: Yeah, I think
1: this is somewhere where I would consider if they're Mm yo-yoing, then maybe like critical injury table. Yeah. Like that's, I think that would be my solve for this. Cause it's like, you've gone down too many times, you know, I'm going to uh, roll a constitution save. Yeah. And if you roll below uh, five, the first time or a 10, the second time or a 15, the third time. And then every time you get a critical injury, that number goes back to five or
2: whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, at a certain point, you're just the black knight from Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh, Okay. Our final written down unpopular opinion is my own, which is having strong opinions about what people should be playing is just another form of gatekeeping. Uh, And this is this is specifically a call out for the kinds of folks I've seen places like Facebook and Twitter and et cetera, where someone's talking about enjoying a game that they're playing especially it seems to be D and this person has to kick the door open and be like you shouldn't be playing D. like the thing you're excited about is done so much better in system xyz
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. that's just gatekeeping but different y'all yeah in my opinion
2: that person's character class is asshole <laughs> <laughs> um i mean it net like first of all, you should never try to, uh, derive any kind of satisfaction from any potential response. You get to something online. Like it's, it's like that study that was done where it was discovered that like the, it's faster to post incorrect information on Facebook to get the correct answer versus asking like, Hey, does anybody know the correct answer to this? Um, uh, just because people are, well, I say people, I mean, I mean, assholes are wired to uh, just neg anything that comes their way. They don't understand how people can be happy because they don't understand happiness and they don't understand how to let people be happy with what they're doing. They're egotists. They're narcissists. They they don't understand that just because they see the world a certain way, that that, me- that does not mean that they are right about it. Well,
1: it's a power thing, right? Yeah. Like. You, you, I play all these different games that are really cool, and you're just playing Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I'll tell you, why would you still be playing Dungeons
2: and Dragons yeah. in
1: 2023? And it's like because it's what they know. Like, yeah. get off
2: it. I've said many times uh, how big of a Star Trek fan I am, and I, I, I used to be, and to a certain extent, still am, like a huge like Star Trek canon nerd. Like, what you know, the the canon levels in Star Trek are different than for Star Wars. Like in Star Trek. If it appeared on screen, then it happened. If it appeared in the books, it didn't happen. Like uh, you know, Star Wars has the different the many different levels of Canon, like you know pre pre-expanded universe getting converted to legends and everything like that. But um, there would you would always have somebody reference something and then somebody would come on and be like, well, no, actually in this episode, they did this and it would be like a really early episode of TOS or something before they'd really established the rules of the universe. And so, of course, it contradicts something. And I remember somebody asked, um, I read this thing where somebody asked Leonard Nimoy about that one time. And he's like, I-, I forget what it was. It probably had to do with the 2009 reboot and how it was like changing the canon and everything. And people were upset about it. And somebody asked him about that. He's like, you know what? Uh, I just... And, you know, and this was obviously past the point when he sort of reconciled his identity being just closely tied with Spock for the rest of time. So he was just very, he's, yeah. you know, he was very pro Star Trek uh, the last like 30 years of his life. And he's like, the thing is, like, we just want to tell good stories. And I think everybody can enjoy good stories. The problem, you know, and, and nothing really necessarily has to follow canon. Canon can be whatever you want it to be for yourself personally. And, you know, he was talking about headcanon before I think that was a term. And yeah. he's like, the reason that people get so hung up on something like that is because it is something that they can they can control, they or that they can try to control, they can try to pretend to be an expert on it, because they don't have control in other facets of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a lot of it, right there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, uh, if you feel the urge to reach out to us and tell us why we should stop covering D and D, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, don't worry about that.
2: Yeah. Take, uh, take a we, deep breath. Go touch yeah. some
1: grass. Because we probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's the ten thousand pound gorilla in the yeah. room. People are going to be talking about it. People are going to be playing it. And will you?
2: Okay. Will you content producers stop producing content related to this wildly popular thing that people <laughs> want to consume more of? Also, I have a bridge to sell you.
1: Yeah. Go tell Twitch streamers to stop playing Call of Duty. Like, come
2: on. <laughs> um yeah, uh, don't do that. But if you want to say encouraging things and and not be a gatekeeper, uh, join us <laughs> uh, on the Discord at bit.ly slash goblin discord. Indeed do. And if you want um. to help other people not be gatekeepers, uh, you can direct them to the podcast by telephone, telegraph, telling a friend about the Goblins of Growlers podcast. Word of mouth is not only the greatest ludicrous album, but the best way to uh, get people to listen to our podcast and to advertise it. And uh, uh, Josh, what kind of reviews do you encourage them to leave us?
1: Uh, either thumbs ups, depending on the platform, or five stars. And if there's other things that they'd like to leave us that are less or worse than that, uh, we encourage them to reach out on mm-hmm. uh, social media or email, contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com or on Discord so that we can we can talk through whatever concerns you might
2: have with
1: leaving us a, a better review. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Uh, and <laughs> I will tell you that if the thing you're trying to leave us is a flaming paper bag on my front porch, I will 100% gatekeep you from my property. <laughs> um, and also, if you want to know other stuff we're doing, uh, linktr.ee slash growlers, our link tree that's got all our info on it. Um, uh, tell friend, Tell your friend about that when you're telephone telegraphing them as well. <laughs> um and then uh josh what are we talking about next time uh let's see next time we're going to be talking about
1: the planescape release speaking of us not shutting up about dnd
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh
0: which Suck is it. something
1: <laughs> that i think a lot <laughs> something that i think a lot of us have been excited about because it is a callback to something that we thought we might never mm-hmm. see again Until Mm -hmm. Spelljammer stuff started happening and we were like, maybe. Yeah. Is it, are they leading up to something? And here here we are. Here we are now. Yeah.
2: (laughs) They were not subtle about telegraphing what they were going to be doing. (laughs) From the time they released that, that Monsters of the Multiverse book, they were not subtle about what they were doing. And even before then. Uh, But yeah. No,
1: but that's, that's how you build hype. So I respect it.
2: Yeah. But uh, Planescape, the, the legacy of Zeb Cook, um, uh, it'll be I, it's been a long time since I've read a lot of Planescape stuff. I think the last time I did was like the last time we talked about it. So I'll need to sit down and go through some of the older stuff. I've got I've got some of it around here somewhere um, and I'll, I'll dig it up and r- refresh myself a little bit on it. But I'm I'm looking forward to this. Like I said, I'm, I'm always a big fan of when they release stuff in like multi book uh, format. Um, even though I would much rather them go back to the old box set way of doing things.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I will say also, uh, kind of on that point, when you're looking for games such as Planescape, uh, you should be talking to your friendly local gaming store. And if you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, you should stop into the conveniently located in Willow Lawn, Richmond, Virginia, uh, Alpha Comics and Games, where the lovely staff will be happy to help you with all of your gaming needs.
0: Mm-hmm
2: um what else do we have do we have any other any other items that we need to chat about well i don't think we've got any other specific
1: items hopefully uh people felt good about their hot takes being broadcast and there will just be more conversation in the discord after the release of this where everyone's had a little time to think about their stances and other people's stances and uh, come back to the table ready for some heated but friendly
2: conversation. May all your floor dice be 20s, and we'll talk to you (laughs) next time.
0: (laughs) Bye. Bye.
1: like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you! Hey GG peeps, I'm here to talk about Throne Exchange. If you follow a variety of live streamers, you're likely already familiar with Throne as a concept. It's an anonymized gift-giving service that's gaining a lot of popularity all around the world. What you maybe haven't heard of is Throne's exchange service. Think of it like a Secret Santa where you and other folks sign up, provide a deposit to Throne, get matched with a giftee, and in turn, a gifter is matched with you. You place a deposit, create a wish list, select a gift for your giftee, and everyone's gifts get purchased and shipped at about the same time by Throne without sharing anyone's personal info. If for some reason a gift isn't selected for you in time, Throne will have a volunteer gifter or even Throne's staff select a gift for you. Everyone who signs up receives a gift, and gift minimums make sure that everyone's getting something of similar value, though you can spend more if you're feeling generous. Throne hosts exchanges each month with unique themes, and you can sign up for as many as you'd like. You can even create private exchanges for yourself and friends, coworkers, family, and beyond. You pick the dates, the minimum, and the theme. Exchange is currently only available in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Spain, Italy, France, Netherlands, Germany, and Australia. GGP is hosting our very own exchange. Sign up at exchange.throne.com/exchanges/gng23 to join Brandon, myself and all the other GG peeps who sign up by November 27th. We'll then be selecting gifts from the 28th to the 30th, after which we'll do our exchange. Thanks in advance for using our link to support the show and participate in our exchange, and thanks to Throne Exchange for sponsoring us.